welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, where gaming is for everyone. Join us as we expand the boundaries of the gaming community. Hello and welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, episode number 72 for Wednesday, November 8th, 2017. I'm your host, Ken Gagney, and today I'm thrilled to be joined with an up-and-coming star in the diversity realm, that being <laughs> Nicole Hunter, founder of BlackGirlGaming.com. Hello, Nicole. Hi, thanks for having me on, Ken. It's such a pleasure to chat with you. You reached out to me several months ago, and I appreciate your patience. Now that Polygamer is monthly, it takes a while to get people into the queue, and I really appreciate that you were still interested even all these months later. Yeah, of course. Um, Stuff happens. (laughs) (laughs) So, as I mentioned, you are the founder of BlackGirlGaming.com. How would you describe that website? What is BlackGirlGaming.com? BlackGirlGaming.com was a blog that I created when I started writing about diversity in games six months ago. I am the only writer for the blog, so it's essentially where I put my thoughts that feel either too specific or too racy in regards to diversity in games or just fun stuff that I feel is a little bit too goofy. (laughs) (laughs) So you said you've been doing this for only six months. What was it that inspired you to launch this website? I am about one year out of college, and um, I had all of those... uh, kind of career questions going running in my head. And I suddenly decided that um kind of had to write to be happy. That's what I studied in college. And I know a lot about games. So I decided to put together my writing prowess, my passion for video games, and also my kind of commitment to social justice and created this blog where I can use my voice for something good. That's wonderful. You said that you studied writing in college, any particular kind? Poetry. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> now, I have friends who actually have master's degrees in poetry, and I'm always curious, what is it that you hope to accomplish once you have that degree? I studied poetry with the intention of being a poet and becoming a professor, and I went to year the TA and decided that academia was a little bit too political for me. <laughs> yeah, it certainly can be. People hope that it's a safe space to you know, explore all sorts of academic topics. And it may be that, but that doesn't mean it's free of the kinds of office politics that you find anywhere else, unfortunately. In fact, sometimes it can be even worse. Yeah, I certainly agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) So are you still doing poetry in your own time? Um, Not so much these days. Um, I write for four publications right now, um, meaning that my time for my own creative work is fairly limited. (laughs) Mm -hmm. If I may ask, which publications are you writing for? I write for Black Girl Gaming, um, user-friendly, Odd Tale Studios, and newnormative.com. Oh, excellent. I will put links to those in all the show notes. I haven't heard of most of those. In fact, I think, unfortunately, the only one I've heard of is blackgirlgaming.com. What sort of genres do the other three fall into? Oddtalestudios.com is a gaming news and journalism website. It's for nerd culture in general, um, and I think that user-friendly kind of follows in that same vein. Both of them have a commitment to talking about gaming with identity politics and the importance of gaming outside of just, it's fun, so it's fine (laughs) mentality. Newnormative.com is a progressive gaming website, so it's all features, and it's all based around progressive politics. 
Wow. Now, here's a question for you that may, might be kind of basic. A lot of people who have been paying attention at all in the last year well, has probably heard this term. But just to be sure, could you explain to me in a nutshell, what is identity politics? Identity politics essentially means um, the ways in which we interact with each other and our society in terms of and how our identities, meaning race, gender, sexuality, or even things like being a gamer or not being a gamer, or um, essentially how we interact with the world and how what we bring to the table affects how other people react to us and how our society reacts to us. That's a great definition. And it makes me wonder, some politicians, they want to set aside identity politics or they feel that it's divisive. But everything you just described, I don't understand how we can look at how we function as a society without taking all those things into consideration. That is who we are as a people. I definitely agree. I feel like identity gets pushed into these very stringent categories of like, this is what divides us. And what divides us can never breed understanding between us. But I think that understanding the differences between us and how our identities play into that actually makes us stronger as a group. Yeah, I think acknowledging differences is only a bad thing to those who are committed to not understanding those differences. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> it sounds like you have done a great job finding outlets that are consistent with your political values and your beliefs, and yet you still founded Black Girl Gaming as a place to put the content that you find might be inappropriate or too racy for these other outlets. What kind of stuff would those other outlets not publish that you put out on your own? I think for other people's website, I try to be professional or at least um, keep my thoughts in a not angry or not annoyed tone. And on my blog, I'm a lot more loose with that. Or um, I wrote a very long article about the text boxes in Golf Story, which are really incredible. <laughs> um, and I said, this is great and interesting to me and maybe a little bit too nerdy to hand off to someone else. <laughs> <laughs> so Golf Story being a indie title that's exclusive to Nintendo Switch, I read your article, you were talking about how the text is sort of animated. Yeah, it's um, really stunning and really interesting to watch. <laughs> I haven't played that game yet. I have a Switch, and I love RPGs. I'm not a huge golf nerd. Is this something that's going to get in the way of me enjoying this game? I feel like not, because I think... The only thing the game really had golf games don't really have much to do with golf. I feel like those arcade games that you find it everywhere. There are arcade games. Yeah. Um, it more counts on your ability to um, calculate, like if the wind is blowing this way, how far. It's, it's more of a puzzle game, I guess, or an action physics game. <laughs> Interesting. I never thought about it that way, and it's certainly all down to the timing, especially with the three-click swing that Nintendo popularized back in the 80s. Yeah, um, definitely. <laughs> so you you put some of this stuff on blackgirlgaming.com, stuff that you might consider a little bit more emotional or possibly even more personal and less professional. You mentioned that you're the only writer for this website. Is that something you're looking to change? It is something that I would be open to changing. Black Girl Gaming is kind of very specific. <laughs> um, when I started, I said... 
I am a black girl gaming, so I want this blog where I can write myself. But if there are other black women who wanted to publish things, uh, pieces about writing, um, I would love to help them. I would love to publish their work. No, I think that's a great idea. I think people need places to get themselves heard. It's very challenging to run a place that has contributed articles because, as is the case with any volunteer organization, attrition happens and it's hard to count on people to turn stuff in when the the best that we can offer is exposure, which is often the case given our limited budgets. Yeah. What are some of your favorite kinds of articles to write? I'm definitely a feature writer more than anything else. I really love diving into one specific part of a game and just kind of unfolding that. Right now, I'm writing a piece on the lore of League of Legends because I was looking at it and the way that they have it written at the bottom of all of the champion profiles, it just says, here are their friends or their rivals, and there's nothing in between. <laughs> and I just think that is so funny. <laughs> so I'm making a mind map. <laughs> and that type <laughs> of weird stuff is what I gravitate towards. <laughs> wow, having never played League of Legends, I didn't realize that everything was so binary. I mean, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, given that World of Warcraft has the Alliance and the Horde. It usually seems to come down to one of two decisions. Yeah, it's actually the lore is is messy and the thing about a game that runs for 7 years is a lot of the lore conflicts with itself and has changed since it was originally written. And so it actually is extraordinarily reductive. Like um there's one character who is Gangplank who really like whose first love was Ilaoi or I butchered her name, but another champion, and they're described as friends, and really, they're lovers. <laughs> I wonder why they chose to be obtuse about that. Yeah, it was very strange. I think it was just for like the quickness of seeing the relationships between the characters, but it just reads as so strange <laughs> when you know the whole story. I don't see the benefit in them not being transparent about that because it it's not like they're pushing any political boundaries with that kind of relationship. No, they're not at all. Um, and it's very clearly set out in the lore itself, in the text, <laughs> which is the other thing that's just strange. <laughs> Have you been playing this game for seven years? Um, I've been playing it for five <laughs> Okay, so you mentioned you're about a year out of college. That means you started probably like when you just started college or maybe even in high school? Yeah, um, I started right before I went to college. Wow, and it's just something that carried with you all the way through college. Like you're, You can almost remember like, oh, sophomore year, that's when I was level 17, or junior year, that's when I was playing this character. Yeah, um, I can remember how the game has changed over such a long period of time. It was how I studied. I would say, okay, so I got an hour. And I'll play this game, and it'll probably last for 40 minutes, and then I can study for another hour. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say, within an hour, you'd play for 40 minutes and study for 20 minutes. Oh, <laughs> I tried. That's usually how it worked, though, to be <laughs> honest. <laughs> I think that's what happened to me my junior year of college when I was playing Civilization Two. That game was dangerous. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, it's always just one more turn, just one more turn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So once you finished college, that's when you started pitching yourself to these various outlets that you now freelance for? I came out of college and I worked at my alma mater as a teaching assistant for a while. And then at the end of that, I just decided that 
I should head in another direction. Um, that's what I did. And I started just pitching myself at these other outlets. Um, and I started my blog and worked on that for a while and parlayed that into other work. Becoming a freelance writer is so challenging because it seems to be a catch-22. You pitch yourself, they want to see your portfolio. To build a portfolio, they you have to write for these magazines. And to write for them, you need to pitch your stuff. So when you started pitching yourself and they asked to see your work, are you just like, here's all the poetry I wrote in college? That's where my blog came in. I really started it as a way to start publishing my own work. And then eventually I was able to present this somewhat professional thing that I was doing and say, hey, I published my own work, but it's still published. <laughs> no, that is a great way to do that. I've done some PAX East panels about how to get into the industry. And we always say, do something for free just to build your portfolio, whether it's to create a small indie game that you just put up on itch.io for people to play for free, or you're publishing your own work on your own website, just something where you can be seen and you give links to people, and then that becomes your portfolio. Yeah, and it sucks for a while, but it really does pay off eventually. <laughs> Yeah, it, I mean, it varies person to person based on who you are and who you know and being in the right spot at the right time. Sometimes it can pay off within you know a few months or a year, and sometimes some people spend their whole lives just waiting for that chance, and finally it comes, or you, know, you hope it comes at least. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so in addition to BlackGirlGaming.com, you also mentioned that you are part of something called the Black Gamers Revolution, or BGR. What is that? The Black Gamers Revolution is a all-black, encompassing safe space for black gamers to express themselves without having to deal with like the crap that comes from being black in the gaming community. So no slurs, no microaggressions, and no disrespect or um, raging at each other. <laughs> and who founded BGR? Is this another one of your projects? No. I came into the BGR about six months into its existence. The BGR was founded by our six admins. Our head is named Devon. He runs our Twitter and is our fearless leader. And he gathered together five other gamers that he knew on Tumblr and started a Discord server and eventually to be really big. <laughs> Discord is not something I've spent a lot of time in yet. It seems to be like Slack, but primarily aimed at gamers, kind of like how Twitch is aimed at gamers. Is that a, a fairly good at description? Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. It's just a group. It's a huge group chat with um, categories. And how do people join the Discord? Do they need to apply? We allow our members to invite people through links, and so they create a link and they bring people in. We also talk to people on all of our different social media. It's not an application process, but we do approve them personally because we try to keep the server, again, for black folk. Now, you mentioned that you want this to be a safe space free of all the harassment and slurs that happen elsewhere in gaming. I assume that's very similar to the harassment and slurs that occur outside gaming as well, unfortunately? Yeah, definitely. But... <laughs> It uh, definitely happens a lot more in gaming, I feel. It's almost part of my five years playing um, League of Legends, and before that, a decade on um, World of Warcraft was just slurs every day. So I really 
relate to that on a level of playing online games. Now, with a lot of games like World of Warcraft, I've heard of people who don't use their microphone because they don't want to reveal what sounds to be their gender. I don't think that there's a video cam. How do people even know to harass you in games like World of Warcraft? God, they don't even... It's really indiscriminate. There's this story that I like to tell from Overwatch. When I had first joined the Black Gaming Re- Gamers Revolution and I was playing with a couple of my friends, this guy called me the F-slur. And I said, well, I'm queer, so I'll be that. <laughs> and he said, no, I don't mean it in the fact that you're gay. I just mean that you're an F-slur. And I said, but that's what that means. He just seemed to be calling me that because it's the worst thing he could think of. <laughs> And I think that that's pretty telling in and of itself. Yeah, that is awful. And there are, unfortunately, a lot of communities and a lot of individuals who see words that describe marginalized people as generic slurs. You know, I heard a lot of those, as I'm sure a lot of people do, among school kids, college kids, people saying, oh, that's so gay. I heard even just recently somebody, I overheard a college boy saying that in an airport. I'm like, okay, we live in Boston, which in some ways is pretty racist, but in some ways also very liberal. And I'm like, we were the first state to have gay marriage. And how are you using gay as a slur in Boston? Where have you been? That's so strange. But yeah, in my everyday life, I live in Chicago. So of course, slurs happen and like racism and homophobia happens in Chicago frequently, but also not on a huge level. So whenever I hear people say like, that's so gay, I'm like, take me back to 2006. (laughs) I feel like I'm 12 again. (laughs) After the election last year, I started wearing a safety pin, which is supposed to be a pledge that I will stand up to such language. But sometimes it's so unexpected. And I'm so shocked that the moment passes and the person walks away. And I'm like, I'm still processing. What did you say? Yeah, it can be hard. Um, I think it's difficult to pick and choose your battles. And I think that that's what becomes really overwhelming and irritating about playing online games as somebody who is marginalized by society is because every game that you play or every match, something is probably going to get said that you either personally think is offensive to you or is personally offensive to one of your loved ones and if you pick a fight every time you're just going to get beat up all day every day which is why um spaces like the bgr are so is so important and even if you're not picking fights every day you're still nonetheless being subjected to those things so it seems like no matter what you choose it's just exhausting yeah um it really is So you can go into the BGR's Discord, and there are people there who have experienced this and who understand where you're coming from. How do you translate that into a gaming group? Like, how do you go play WoW or League of Legends or Overwatch and still keep that community throughout these games? Can the BGR manifest itself as parties in these games? A lot of what it looks like is that we only party with each other or we bring a big group of us into a game so... Even if it's just two or three of us in a game of five, like in League of Legends, we have each other's backs, which makes it a lot more easier to handle when horrible things get said. When you have majority rule like that, can you eject the jerks from the party and find somebody else to play with? 
In games like World of Warcraft, you definitely can. In League of Legends, you're stuck with them. <laughs> now, see, I don't do really any online gaming, except with people I know from offline. It's a way for us to keep in touch, and the games sort of are being played in the background. But when you're exposing yourself to strangers every day, and you never know what you're going to get. It's a marvel that you find the endurance to continuously put yourself out there like that. I think it has a lot to do with the personal connections that you make. Less so in League of Legends, but in World of Warcraft, I did make a lot of important friendships in that game. And irritated as I may be just being in that game all day, I had an ignore button. I had hundreds of names on my blocked list, and I just existed with my friends. And the rest of the crap didn't really matter at that point. Do you ever play any offline games? I play a lot of games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, I'm mostly an offline gamer, mostly due to the fact that online games are oftentimes very tiresome. So yeah. Besides Golf Story, what are some other games you're playing right now? I'm playing Assassin's Creed Origins right now and Stardew Valley Doki Doki Literature Club and Stardew Valley. <laughs> Okay, I've heard of almost all of those. I want to ask you about Assassin's Creed, but first, Doki Doki Literature Club? It is a really cute appearing visual novel that is a horror game, and it's hard to explain without ruining the fun of it, but it is terrifying. <laughs> that sounds bizarre. I mean, I've only ever heard the phrase Doki Doki in in regards to the Japanese version of Super Mario Bros. 2, is it related? It's Doki Doki is uh, like the sound that like your heart makes. Um, oh. Yeah, so it's a dating sim kind of um, premise. And then there's a horror plot that unfolds, but in a very unique and fascinating way. <laughs> So instead of a rom-com, it's a rom-horror. Yeah, it's a rom-never-sleep-again. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that sounds terrifying. <laughs> I wish I'd interviewed you in time for Halloween, because I want people to go back to last month and play this game to get ready for the holiday. <laughs> what system is this for? It's free on PC. Um, it's on Steam, and each... Okay, there will be a link in the show notes that looks like, according to Steam, the game just came out at the time of this recording about five, six weeks ago. And it's for Windows, as you said, and Linux. But us Mac users like me, we are out of luck. Boo. Oh, darn. I didn't even know that it wasn't for Mac. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me neither. But, oh, well, I'll just have to lean over somebody's window shoulder and watch them play it. Uh, <laughs> the other game I want to ask you about was Assassin's Creed Origins, which is set in long ago Egypt. I remember. When the game was announced, there was some concern about how that part of the world and how its population would be represented. I don't know how the game actually went about doing that because I haven't played it, but do you have any insights into how problematic this game may or may not be? Yeah, I'm actually also writing a piece on the history of race in Assassin's Creed. I've been a half Assassin's Creed fan for a long time. Um, I love the games, but they also are pretty irritating in a lot of ways. Um, and one of those ways is in the way that it handles race. But the concern, I think, was that there would be a really insensitive treatment of 
people who speak another language and of black people in Egypt. And the concern was about whitewashing, which happened with the original Assassin's Creed in some ways. Right now, I don't have an issue with the portrayals of the characters in the game. And I actually think that they're pretty decent, especially since there doesn't seem to be that many white characters, to be perfectly honest. Another concern I heard a lot was, here's this game where you're going to have to kill people of color. I don't understand why we always have to kill people of color in games, which is valid. (laughs) Um, Games like um, Far Cry 3 especially have a white protagonist killing hundreds and thousands of people of color. And it can be really exhausting and it is a it is a microaggression to have to like watch this play out it's better because the main character is black bayek is the name of the main character and bayek is a black man and he's the protagonist of the story he's the one who's going on a revenge quest to avenge his son who was killed by the pharaoh and some sort of larger plot and so he's the one running around all of egypt slaying hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of brown people so that's problematic in the way that video games tend to be i'm not sure if that makes it any better or worse but i'm certainly just happy to have a dark-skinned assassin being the protagonist of this story in a main game yeah, that does seem like a nice change. One thing that Assassin's Creed does seem to do well, and again, I haven't played the game, but this time last year, I had one of its voice actors on the podcast, Tristan D. Lala. He played the character Adewale. Have you played that game? I have not. He was in Assassin's Creed 4, Black Flag, and its sequels in DLC. And we talked about representation in voice acting, how even though you can't necessarily see the actor, it's still important to have somebody somebody who looks like the character they're playing, as opposed to, again, as you said, whitewashing. I definitely agree. And that's also a concern in Assassin's Creed Origins. Much of the game has other languages being spoken in it. And so if it was just all voice actors who only spoke English, that would be irritating. But it seems as though they have people who actually do have those languages under their belt. Yeah, because you want to get not only the pronunciation correct, but you know the accent and words have meanings and implications. And it's very difficult if it's not somebody who grew up with that language to be truly fluent. Although I'm saying this as somebody who speaks and knows only English, so maybe it's easier than I think. But it seems like you would want to get somebody who is intimately familiar with the language. Yeah, I definitely agree. Like hearing somebody do a bad accent from the place that you're from only way worse (laughs) yeah i mean i don't think i have a boston accent but when i hear other people imitating one i'm like no you're not from boston don't pander to me yeah um definitely (laughs) (laughs) let me ask you uh going back on bgr According to the original email you sent me about BGR, you described it as a safe place for all black gamers, not just cishet ones, which I presume is short for cisgender heterosexual, correct? Yes. So now, this delves into the topic of intersectionality, which we haven't talked too much about on Polygamer. 
And I think this also goes back to identity politics, where you're never just one thing. You know, you can be black, you can be a woman, you can be both of those things. Oh my gosh. And those come with a different set of circumstances than just one of them or one of them in combination with something else. Are you saying by your pitch that we, as a society, often overlook these intersections, that we think about, you know, how do we make a safe space for black people or how are black people being represented as opposed to thinking about the other identities that they may hold? I think that there are a lot of black safe spaces that are created that don't necessarily accept all black people. For instance, um, black religion, which I don't necessarily want to get into all that deep, but that is a safe space for black people in one way, but also deeply exclusionary and harmful to black queer people. And so with the BGR, we're trying to make it a place where everybody feels safe and where the putting down of black women or the putting down of black trans people is not accepted at all. It's not tolerated. Now, I I understand the concern with religion because there are many religions that, you know, are for cisgender hetero people. Not all, but that's because it's sort of built into their doctrine to exclude certain kinds of people. They have a very specific vision about the right and way wrong to live. So when you're creating a gaming space, is it by default safe as long as you don't have those doctrines? Or do you need to put measures in place to ensure that it is safe for all identities? One thing I think that the Black Gamers Revolution does that I love about it is it's not just a place for us to talk about gaming or to gather to play a game together. It's also a support network and a friend group. When you're talking, just talking about life and politics and the things that are happening in our world, at times things come up which are disrespectful or bigoted. There are instances of homophobia, or transphobia, and we have trans members and queer people among our ranks. And we take it very seriously when somebody puts them down. I think that it does need to be built into our mission statement because a safe place for gamers doesn't necessarily mean that it's a safe place for women or queer people of any background. We have character, we have people who are from different countries. We have queer members. We have a lot of women and there's an expectation that they have and that we have that they'll be able to interact in places without some dude bro saying, "Oh, you play g- games and you're a girl like <laughs> to why don't you tell me all about your experience with games?" There's a expectation that everybody treats the, each other with a certain level of respect that they would s- show anybody else in the world. And is that peer enforced or do you have administrators who enforce these rules? The BGR is quite large and we have over different channels, so different threads that are going on in our Discord. We have six admins and we have six moderators, 12 in total, who have the ability to either delete comments or boot people from the server or the authority to talk to people about when they mess up. But we also depend a lot on our members to 
talk to each other, to educate each other, or when it goes way too far, to come and find an admin or a moderator to mediate the situation. So I think it's a balance of both powers. And is most of that interaction happening on Discord? Because I noticed that BGR has a, a large social media footprint. They're on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Twitch. Are those interactions mostly in Discord and then also in the games we talked about, like Overwatch and League of Legends? Yeah. Most of these interactions happen through our Discord. Discord has a voice chat functionality, which we use quite a bit in playing games together or just in day-to-day life if we need to talk to someone. And so a lot of that happens in our voice chat or in our threads. Our social media presence is kind of there in order to spread the word about the black gaming gamers revolution but our server is kind of what we are i suppose how i would put it so when we stream on twitch it's so people know that we're there and that we care about them and they can come to our server or when we're on twitter we tweet things so we can have a presence so people can come and find us that's how i find the black gamers revolution um strangely enough And so it's all about getting out there so we can bring as many people as possible into a place where they don't have to feel bad about being the people that they are when they play games. And also, we have more people to play games with and more friends. (laughs) So here's a question for you. And this may sound like a loaded question, but it's sincere because I'm curious. If I wanted to join your Discord, would I be allowed? No. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It. (laughs) it's pretty point blank i think it's a place where black gamers get together and to talk about not only gaming stuff but also like the pressures of being black in the larger world and a lot of the conversations that we have among each other as black gamers could not happen if there were people of other races there we all come together with this common understanding of being black in our in the world and that's kind of very core to our value system <laughs> no i completely respect that and i do not have those experiences that background i do not understand so you're right that my presence would dilute it but i'm also thinking about other groups that have been on this podcast for example the lady planeswalker society which is meant to be a safe space for women to learn and play magic the gathering or the sugar gamers which i believe was founded as a safe space for uh black gamers or women gamers or both they have allowed anybody of any identity and demographic to join their group so if i as a straight white cis guy want to join the lady planeswalker society or the sugar gamers I would be allowed. And there are pros and cons to that. You just listed some of them. And so I was wondering what kind of group BGR is, for example. Yeah, I think that we all, all of our gaming groups that cater to marginalized groups have our space and our jobs. Groups that allow people of all demographics to come in uh, have a certain requirement that comes along with that that they're going to spend a little bit of their time in their various spaces educating the members who don't know the things that um, the group of marginalized people know or talking to them about hey it's disrespectful when you say this for this reason i think the important part of the black gamers revolution is in the fact that 
we don't have to spend that much time talking about like what blackness means or why we don't necessarily want to go to like somebody can just be like oh yeah I'm not driving through Indiana and everybody else goes, yeah, Indiana, the Klan. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So there's just a common understanding that I think happens through just being black together and just having a good old uh, time. And that is our role is to just be a support group for black people specifically. No, I totally get that because you talked about how exhausting it can be to be exposed to the slurs and injustices that occur in online gaming, and then to have to educate people, even in your downtime, as to why that's not okay. I mean, that's not your job. You want to go somewhere where you don't have to do that. I totally get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of our role. It does sound like there may, to a much lesser degree, still be some education required, because you mentioned sometimes there are are people who aren't aware of the implications of their words on queer identities, for example. And so there is a little bit of policing that happens within BGR, I presume. Yeah, I think policing is one word for it. Um, I probably should have said educating. I'm sorry about that. No, it's okay, because we do have mediation for situations, and we do do or we do engage in a little bit of policing when things get really serious. But yeah, we try very hard not to kick people out of the server, but we do try to make them think about at least, you don't have to have the same belief systems as everybody else in the BGR. I don't think that there are two people with the same exact set of beliefs, but you do have to be able to respect everybody in the group. And I think that we do a lot of education in terms of queer identities or just in the ways that black women interact in the world versus black men. But it's work that we do because we're trying to be a more close-knit community of black gamers and we're trying to have these um, people who come in here less educated to come up to speed, I suppose. And it's a little bit easier when it's coming from another person who like genuinely cares and just wants you to know like hey we just want you to make people feel safe here one way to make people feel safe in physical spaces is to have a code of conduct which is something i learned about from ash dryden of AlterConf. she recommends them for digital spaces as well although it seems harder to implement in that space does the bgr have anything like a code of conduct or a list of expectations for behavior before somebody joins Not before we join, but as soon as they join, we have a set of server rules, um, which are pretty much the rules of engagement. There are eight bullets, and we require people to follow those. If they breach one of those rules once, we talk to them. And since it ain't baseball, if they breach another rule, unless they really apologize and think about it again, we remove them from the server. So... We don't tolerate discrimination, harassment, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, fatphobia, ableism, Islamophobia, or or slut-shaming. This is a server dedicated to black gamers. Every uh, conversation that goes on between a member and the admin or mod team about a specific incident stays within the admin and mod team and that individual that's pretty much all we expect from people. Other than that, we just let people live. <laughs> <laughs> a 
honestly, I mean, that, those are pretty minimal expectations because it's basically the rules for being a decent human being. And it's kind of sad that, that it needs to be expressed and outlined like that. Everybody, I think, forgets a little bit, forgets themselves a little bit when they're playing video games because it is a high adrenaline thing, especially when it's competitive and online. And so just saying uh, up front, hey, I don't care how mad you are, control yourself is a good way of just getting people to like take that second and go, this is what's expected of me. I'm not going to mess this up. Right. As for games being high adrenaline, they certainly are, but. That's also the excuse PewDiePie used, and I have gotten agitated and excited and angry playing games online and off. People are able to feel that way without expressing themselves the way PewDiePie did, and I think it's fair to call people out when they do that and expect them to not do it again. Oh, definitely. I think that's why we have our rule of one. You do it once, you have a conversation about why we don't accept that in our server, in our community. and. If it happens again, then we have a more serious conversation because it shows a lack of respect for our rules. Yeah, I get that. I mean, people need to not just say they're sorry so that they can get out of a situation. They need to reflect. And it is possible, no matter how old you are or where you're from, to learn from your mistakes and not repeat them. Yeah, I definitely agree. And high adrenaline is not an excuse that we accept on the server. <laughs> right. I mean, behavior does change when you're in those circumstances, but there has to be a baseline that even under those circumstances, there are some things you're just not going to do. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's telling when people have those words on the tips of their tongue, because I've been very upset in games, and I was young once and didn't know it and used those words, but since learning better, it's never happened again. <laughs> Right. I mean, I'll be honest, I used inappropriate language regarding uh, some of these topics when I was a kid, and that's partly because I grew up in an extremely homogenous environment, and I didn't know anybody who would teach me better. You know, once I got put into more diverse environments, I'm like, oh, that was really bad of me. That's not going to happen again. Yeah, and that's something that has been done by people and more people need to realize should be the baseline. <laughs> right. Now, here's a completely, totally fantastic hypothetical situation. You're, you listed all the things that are not permitted in the Discord, and I mentioned that they are basically the rules for being a decent human being. What if everybody followed those rules, not just in the BGR? Like, you could play WoW or League of Legends or go on Twitter or Twitch, and people would simply not be dicks. They would follow Will Wheaton's law and just treat everybody with respect. Would there still be a need for a, a space like the BGR? Would this apply to like the larger world as well, or just in games? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? As long as we're fantasizing, let's say it is a utopia and people just aren't dicks, and you can be different and celebrate your heritage, and people might not understand it because they don't have those shared experiences, but they're not going to be dicks about it either. In a utopic situation, uh, I think that places like the Gamers Revolution could be still exist as a place for us to have a celebration together but we wouldn't have this really like we wouldn't have to have this protective spirit about us where we have to like defend our members 
constantly and be there to help each other out when things are tough or when people say horrible things to them, either online or just on the streets. It'd be a different and less serious server, I think. Um, not that we're that serious. Uh, <laughs> 99% of it is goofing around. <laughs> Which is fantastic, because if playing games with other people is stressful, it shouldn't be, and BGR is a place where games can be what they are supposed to be. Yeah. Um, since joining, online games have been fun, which uh, I played League of Legends for five years, but it was really more of a habit rather than something that was fun. And being able to find the fun in that game that was a huge part of my life has been really nice. Oh, that's great. It sounds like BGR has had a very positive effect on you. And how long did you say you've been involved with it? I joined in February and I became an admin, I believe, um, in April. And it has been incredibly... uh, It would not be an underestimation to say that... uh, it has changed the trajectory of like my pre- professional career, and it's just made the world more livable. <laughs> wow, that is really powerful. It sounds like not only are you letting your hair down, but maybe even making some professional contacts with like-minded individuals who understand where you're coming from and what you're trying to do. Yeah, definitely. A lot of what happens on our server is making connections that help us outside of the server and outside of our hobbies. Are there other places, people, or resources like that that have that you have also found beneficial? For me personally, when I found the BGR, I found home. But there are other servers that do that have similar missions to ours. Um, there is the Cookout, which um, is a group specifically for um, Black streamers. There is the Black Girl Gamers. Uh, which is specifically a group for black women who want to game together. And there are a few other servers which are for communities outside of being black that I don't know much about because I've been in this bubble for a while. And um, frankly, I just haven't done much research. (laughs) So when you're saying you're in a bubble, you mean identity politics are being divisive and keeping you from interacting with other people. Oh, no. (laughs) Um, it's a, it's a bubble that I have to spend every waking moment of like my outside life outside of it's a, it's a haven. It's a little slice away from, I think, having to be your higher self and constantly educate or have patience. That's a great point. And it's one that addresses the joke I was trying to make, which is that identity politics doesn't divide people unless you're willing to actually retreat 24-7 into a bubble. Interaction with people who are different from you is inevitable, depending on where you live in the world, and there is no escape from that, nor should there be. Definitely. Um, Yeah, it's a good joke. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I try. Uh, You mentioned you live in Chicago. Have you checked out the Sugar Gamers? I have not, but I did. uh, When I checked your email this morning, I said, ooh, I'm going to look them up. They're fascinating. <laughs> yeah, the founder was on episode number two of Polygamer way back in July of 2014, Keisha Howard. Uh, I'll, I'll include a link to that in the show notes, as well as links to the Black Gamer Revolution. Remind us where we can find Black Gamers Revolution online. It's probably easiest to find us on Twitter. Our handle is at Black Gamers Rev. It's B-L-K-G-M-R-S-R-E-V. 
Excellent. There will be a link to that in the show notes as well as to your own website, which is blackgirlgaming.com. Nicole, thank you so much for your time. It's been great chatting with you. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Ken. This has been Polygamer, a GameBits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at polygamer.net. Thank you.